You're listening to The Souvenir Shop, a podcast about random objects from the past. Number 50. And in the end. A stainless steel cake slice with a dark hardwood handle sits in our cutlery drawer. It's nothing special, but like many nondescript items, it's how it was put to use that sticks in the memory. It was on a hot, sunny July day in 2012 as I sweated in a dark suit on my way to the funeral of a friend's father that I got the phone call. It was my brother Andrew and he got straight to the point. Hi Matt, Dad's been diagnosed with lung cancer. He's okay, but it might be a matter of weeks. Dad had just turned 87 had smoked for 50 years until giving up two decades previously, and had a heart condition which, but for a triple bypass in 1997, might have taken him a lot earlier. So none of this came as a big surprise, but from Andrew's reaction, I must have sounded distraught. Don't worry, Matt, he's fine. Give him a call when you get home. The funeral was like many I've attended during the past two decades, part sad and part a celebration of a life well lived. That evening I called Dad. As Andrew said, he sounded fine. Again, I obviously didn't. There's nothing to be sad about, Matt, he said. I was with the love of my life for 60 years. I had a career I couldn't have enjoyed more. My three sons grew up to be mentioned, and they married women I would be proud to have as daughters. Who could ask for more? I'll probably just fade out quietly while watching telly. It was a cheerful admonishment with a chilly backdraft. In truth, Dad was five years older than Mum and wasn't expecting to be the one left behind. In the three or more years since my mother died, He occupied his time with his writing, catching up with friends, seeking out obscure and often dreadful old Hollywood films on YouTube, and doting on his grandchildren. But it was clear to the rest of us that there was a massive mum-shaped hole in his life, one which nothing could even begin to fill. We congregated round at Dad's the following Saturday. There were the usual in-jokes and laughter while we drank tea and ate the Waitrose coffee and walnut cake which had become a feature of every visit. Sitting round the dining table, Dad went through the will. There were a few specific details, mainly relating to John's kids, my nephew and niece. We all tried not to cry, often succeeding. On the subject of personal effects, He wanted Andrew and I to divide them up with no arguments, or I'll come and haunt you. And at his secular funeral, he requested a playlist to include George Bastow's Captain Ginger and Benny Goodman's Moonglow, as the coffin went behind the curtain. Like everyone, Dad had his flaws, but nothing became him so much as the way he spent his final few weeks. Andrew and I visited when we could and made sure, sometimes to his irritation, that he had everything he needed. Otherwise, he had fun seeing old friends and relatives just the once, and one by one, to reminisce and say goodbye. 
The exceptions were his grandchildren, who now ranged in age from 3 to 21. Despite his rapidly advancing frailty, Dad could always find time for them. Sometimes it seemed as if nothing had changed. Like the night Great Britain won three track and field golds at the London Olympics, and seeing Dad cheer on Mo Farah to victory belied his diminishing lung capacity. But most of the time, from the way he increasingly grew tired, we could tell the end was near. He never got his wish to fade out in front of the telly. By the end of August, the effort of gasping for breath was proving too much, even with the help of oxygen. And the hospital checked him in to the local hospice. Andrew, his son, and I visited that afternoon, with Nigella and her kids joining us around his bedside later. As with all such occasions, it was down to one of us to lighten the mood, a role normally fulfilled by Dad. For the benefit of the youngsters, I began to tell an old family story. Just before the Second World War, my great-aunt Etta and Uncle Sam took in Erna, a kindertransport girl in her teens. Erna arrived from Vienna, having said farewell to her parents, probably forever, and quickly assimilated into English society, speaking with the cut-glass RP accent you rarely hear from a native Brit. In fact, and by some miracle, her parents managed to escape Austria, and via a circuitous route they washed up in unoccupied China, where throughout the war they ran a Viennese coffee shop. As Mao's Red Army approached in 1949, it was time to move on again, so they travelled to London and reunited with their long-lost daughter. Erna's parents moved into a modest flat in the East End and combed the various junk emporia and auction houses for furniture. Her father bought a kitchen table from a second-hand shop in Dalston and decided to forego the delivery charge by struggling home with it on foot. This soon proved too much, so he hailed a bus, but the conductor wouldn't let him on with the table and an argument ensued. And like all such arguments, a crowd of spectators gathered at the bus stop. As the row intensified, Erna's father turned to the crowd and bellowed, and at this point I totally ruined the punchline. There was some loud tut-tutting from my father's direction. He could forgive almost anything except a poorly delivered anecdote. No, said Dad. He turned to the crowd and bellowed, What's the matter? Ain't none of you seen a Chinaman before? Everyone laughed because, well, it was funny. But also because in that moment we knew his mind was razor sharp to the last. The laughter died down. I don't know why you slept all the way here, but I'm glad you did. I love you all and I'll miss you. But I'm very tired now and I need some sleep and he closed his eyes. For some time we sat quietly in the hospice garden. There was no grief, that would come in the months and years ahead, but looking at my grown-up niece and nephews I realised that, like a well-oiled machine, 
my generation of the family had suddenly moved up a notch. That we were the old ones now. Dad was our final living link to Avrom, to Shandel, to Rivka, to Grandpa Haircut, to the pre-war Jewish East End long supplanted by cocktail bars, curry houses and artisan coffee. We gathered at Mum and Dad's house after the funeral and filled the living room one last time with stories and raucous laughter and memories shared over tea and smoked salmon sandwiches. And of course, Waitrose coffee and walnut cake. That was And In The End Written and read by Matthew Diamond And after 50 episodes, that's it for The Souvenir Shop. Or at least Season 1 of The Souvenir Shop. I hope you've enjoyed listening as much as I've enjoyed writing and reading each episode. There may be a Season 2, but it's time for a break. In the meantime, I'll be putting up compilation episodes sometime over the next few weeks, or you can go back to the beginning and listen again to each story in order. I'm looking at some ideas for new shows sometime in the future. I'm not yet done with this podcasting lark, so watch this space and maybe I'll see you next time.